0: So we're working through the Old Testament together, and uh, in this first chunk of classes, we've, we're going from Genesis to 1 Samuel, and we finally made it to 1 Samuel. So we're nine weeks in. It's actually going to take me two or three weeks, I think, to work through Samuel. There's a lot going on in Samuel. So we're going to we're gonna start by um, just sort of, we'll probably work through, I don't know, ten chapters tonight? We'll see. Maybe not that many. Depends how many I can get. There's a lot of stuff happening in Samuel, and... uh as there has been throughout this study so far, so just to get you sort of uh, chronologically settled, um, First Samuel starts in around 1100 B.C. and it records 90 years of history, and it ends in 1010 B.C. with the death of Saul. So, and we're very comfortable with those numbers being pretty accurate as far as that's when it happened in history. So, um, uh, 1100 B.C. Uh, is when we start. So, if you're when you start looking at chapter one. Uh, for Samuel, that's where you are. You're in 1100 BC. I like sort of knowing where I am chronologically, historically. Fascinating to think about, you know, 3000 years ago. At the same time, um, when you think about history, so that's a long time ago, and yet it doesn't seem as long ago as that. that. I, I don't know. There's something about looking back and um, watching history we watch history often and see what's going on and, and things that used to seem like it happened a long time ago, I realized that, that some of those things were like only a hundred years ago. And having lived almost 60 now, that doesn't seem like that far. <laughs> and some of them were 70, 80 years. And so uh, it's very interesting how that happens. But we're back in history, about 3,000 years. And uh, at this period of time, the tabernacle was located in Shiloh. There's a high priest named Eli. And um, uh, he's... He's lacking a little bit. And uh, he has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, that are actually evil. And they're also operating as priests of the Lord. And they're taking Israel in a very bad direction. Um, you're also going to meet Hannah. And um, Hannah, uh, is, is, um, she's barren and she asks God for a son. And she makes a vow. And so we picked that right up in 1 Samuel 1.11. She made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. So this is the vow she makes to the Lord. And if you pick up the action in verse 20. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. And when the man Elkanah went up, With all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband, told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. And after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, and a flower and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And when they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here before you, beside you, praying to the Lord. So if you go back and read from 1 Samuel, Eli thinks, because she's sitting there praying quietly, that she accuses, or he accuses her of drinking or something, and she was just praying. And uh, she said, I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord, and uh, he worshiped the Lord there. So, uh, that's where Samuel comes into being. Uh, That's how he comes about. Hannah prayed for him. Uh, She had him, and she um, is faithful to what she said she did, the vow she she gives him uh, into the Lord's service. And he's going to remain there with Eli, who is the high priest. And then we move into chapter 2. And in chapter 2, you're, you're going to really sort of read all about Eli's sons, the two that he has, who are um, far from the Lord. Uh, they're, they're actually evil. And um, uh, th- this story, I think, is, is helpful when we look at it because what you're going to see is how they sort of drift off the word uh, of the, you know, the, what the Lord told them to do, and they started doing it their own way, and you're going to see how that not only ruins them, but it begins to ruin um, everyone around them in the process. First Peter two nine, we're all part in Christ now of the royal priesthood, so. We can learn from all of these situations, but here's, here's some people that were putting on the right garments and were in the right places, but they weren't doing the right things. And, uh, and so it's Hophni and Phineas, and um, when you look at it, we, we looked at this story actually a couple of months ago on a Sunday message because of what was going through, so you might sort of remember it. But let's read it, um, 1 Samuel 2, beginning in verse 12. Eli's sons were wicked men. So that's how the Bible records them. Think about that's not a great sort of legacy to have in the Scripture. Uh, These guys were wicked men. They had no regard, no concern whatsoever for the Lord. Now, it was the practice of the priest with the people that when anyone offered a sacrifice, and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand and he would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up this is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh but even before the fat was burned the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing give the priest some meat to roast he won't accept boiled meat for you but only raw and if the man said to him let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want the servant would then answer no hand it over now if you don't i'll take it by force And the sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. So what's going on here is this. Eli's sons, recorded in Scripture as wicked men, they knew about God, and and yet they didn't regard Him. So as priests, they would know a lot about who God was, but they they just didn't care in this process. And, And they decided in their lives that they didn't want to do it God's way. Uh, And what God's way was had to do with the offering there Um, because in the Levitical law there was a way in which you were to handle the sacrifices and they decided they would just do them however they wanted to do it to benefit themselves in the process and so what had happened was it says the practice of the priests, what they had started to do was um, they created their own way of doing things and it had to do with the way the meat was offered. And, and so when someone came and offered a sacrifice, they were allowed a portion. They were, the the priest did get a portion, but it was after it was fully boiled and all the fat had been burned off and then they were allowed a a portion of that. But what they were doing was they were stopping that whole process and they were getting the meat before it was boiled and well done. I guess they like their meat less done. Uh, and then they taken it another step and they were taking it raw. They were saying, we're not even going to do any of that. We just, we're just going to take the meat from you so we can do what they, were, what they would want with the meat in the process. So I guess they wanted more flavorful meat or whatever. But the, the point is, instead of doing it God's way, they started doing it their way. And they just started twisting it a little bit at a time until it became a greater and greater you know, the, uh, problem for everyone. And it said, this is how they treated all the Israelites who came. So the Israelites who would know what was supposed to happen, and they would come and bring their offering to the Lord. And then they would see these, these people do with it. If they complained, they said, we'll just take it from you by force. And so what they're teaching all the Israelites is something different than God's word. And it begins to have this you know, impact on all of Israel. And they're, they're continually moving farther and farther away from the Lord. In the process, and um, this continues on in the story, and and so what you can see is how I, I want you to see how things, because we can apply this to our lives. We we start here and we just start changing things a little, a little compromise, a little. Well, no, not quite. Just, I'm not going to do that God, that way. I want to do it this way, but this close enough, right? Continues to move on in our lives. And we, we start trying to sort of reshape the Word of God in, in order to fit with what we want to do instead of learning to live, to do the, the way, live life the way He wants to do. And He always knows better than we do. And so the the, the sin of the young men, it says, Hophni and Phinehas, it was very great in the sight of the Lord because He wants us to live the way He you know encourages us to live. He wants us, particularly now that we have the Holy Spirit in us as believers, is to continually yield to the Spirit because the Spirit will lead and guide us and direct us. But we need to be listening to that and and we need to be aware of the way that He wants us to live. And again, remember this isn't a big rule-following thing that we're in, but it's us yielding to the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's, It's being aware of how He directs us and then doing, you know, the next right thing as we can. Obviously falling short sometimes, but that being our heart and where we find life. And so... Where their whole problem started with a disregard for, disregard for what the Word said, for what God wanted, and then they disregard it and they start doing what they want, and over time it gets worse and worse and worse. And so um, th- this is an issue that we have to be aware of because as humanity we have a problem. We have a fallen nature and we have a tendency to go off and want to do our own thing. And what God wants is for us to live yielded to the Spirit, so we continue to live His way because that's where we have life, and that's where we make a difference in the world around us. And you know that that problem had, had taken us to a place where we had to have Jesus come and make a way for us to be reconciled. Thank goodness that He did, and that we have life now in Him. So you you see this this problem starting in Israel, and um, they had even begun these, these, to institute some of the temple practices of Baal there in the temple of Israel. Uh, 1 Samuel 2, 22. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So that was a, a practice of the false gods. They were they were cult prostitutes, male and female, as part of that whole disgusting process that God wanted nothing to do with and they were adopting that into the very people of God in Israel and so this is a significant problem and a prophet comes to Eli and he gives a, a warning to him about the evil that's taking place which Eli ignores but um, there's also a prophetic word in there remember I told you you can find Jesus everywhere if, about our high priest Jesus First Samuel 2.35 this prophet comes and speaking for the Lord says I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind, and I will firmly establish his house, and he will minister before my anointed one always. And so there's this picture of God speaking into it. Say, so I'm going to straighten this out, but you, you know, you've wandered far off. And he's going to straighten it out in the immediate Some with Samuel, but there's also this picture of Jesus coming. Hebrews four fourteen and 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So I love this this picture that um, the writer of Hebrew gives us of Jesus and what He's done for us. and And because of Him, when we find ourselves in those places where we're moving in the wrong direction. We can come to Him. and He understands our weakness. Uh, because He lived in this flesh, uh, He understands what we go through. Now, He never sinned, but He, he sympathizes. He gets what that pull is for us. And, and so we can go to Him with confidence and ask for help. And He gives us the help that we need when we need it. I love that picture. Find grace and mercy in our time of need. And He's faithful to do that. To, to give us what we need when we need it in the process. So then we get to chapter 3, and um, Samuel's there, and he's grown up, and then he has this encounter. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And in this chapter, God calls Samuel. This is a great story. I like this. First Samuel 3.8. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and so the, Samuel was uh, trying to sleep, and God kept calling him. Samuel, and, and uh, Samuel would get up and get out of bed and go see what Eli wanted, but it wasn't really Eli, it was God. And he does this on the third time, it says, Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. And Eli finally realized that that was the Lord calling the boy. It took Eli a little while, because he apparently hadn't been hearing the Lord very often. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls to you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in this place. And the Lord came and stood there calling, as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that would make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. At that time I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end, for I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and he was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you? And Eli said, Eli asked, Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely. If you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. And the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. So here comes this whole thing. God says, you wouldn't deal with this mess, so I'm going to have to deal with it. We get into chapter 4, which is around 1075 B.C., and the two sons are killed um, in a battle. And Eli dies when he hears about his two sons being killed in the battle. First Samuel 4:16 through18, he told Eli, "I've just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day." Eli asked, "What happened, my son?" The man who brought the news replied, "Israel fled before the Philistines, and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phineas, are dead, and the Ark of God has been captured." And when he mentioned the Ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died. He was an old man and heavy. He had led Israel 40 years. So, so here's this battle. And not only are Hophni and Phinehas killed in the battle, but the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, is taken by the Philistines. And when Eli hears this, he falls over backwards and he, he breaks his neck. And he dies as well. All part of what was, was said was going to happen. And uh, chapter 5. Well, this is a good story. 1 Samuel 5, 1 through 4. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. And then they carried the Ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. His head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. So they had an idol there of this false god, Dagon, and uh, the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant was there, and the the power of God just kept knocking this false idol over. And uh, and then in verse 6, it says, The Lord's hand was heavy upon the people of Ashdod in his vicinity, and he brought devastation upon them and afflicted them with tumors. Now, uh, here's here's why this is kind of interesting. Uh, the the actual word there for tumors is roids, uh, R O I D S, and and so what happens to the Philistines is they end up they end up with hemorrhoids, and it's not a pleasant situation. And they pretty much immediately send the ark back because <laughs> they figure out what the problem is. Now, why I think that's a funny story. So some of you might have heard this story, but if you haven't, you probably should hear it. So years and years ago, uh, a long time ago, it would have probably been 1990, uh, I don't know, 91, 92, somewhere in there. Um, I came into the facility one day and we had been broken into. And it had a lot of damage done. They, they were just vandals. They had vandalized the facility. And they'd let off all the fire extinguishers. And they'd stolen some sound equipment. And they'd done some other stuff. And, and I remember I was upset, obviously, at that process. And I walked in. And I had just been reading this story in First Samuel. And so so I, I, I got really pious and holy and everything. And I said, God, just uh, whoever did this, or curse them curse with hemorrhoids. Now, so, and I was, uh, so I'm, I, was, I, was, I must have been 31, somewhere there. And uh, so I, I, you know, feeling all pious and everything, I prayed that prayer. So, uh, didn't think much about it. The next morning, when I woke up, I had a serious problem. And I'd never had this problem before in my life. I wasn't even sure what the problem was. I just knew it wasn't okay and it was not good. So you can guess what was going on, right? That had never ever happened before and and it and I remember so I so I started praying right away. And I had this very real thing from the Lord and the Lord said to me you're supposed to bless not curse. How about that for a lesson? And so I went okay, God, well, whoever did all this stuff, bless them really good. <laughs> um, forgive me. And and uh, that has stuck with me ever since. Uh, sometimes that's how we learn lessons, I guess. But when things happen like that, I want to bless people. It's not my job to curse. That's He takes care of that. So sometimes when you read these stories, make sure you go, ooh, that's not really what we're supposed to do. That's on God does that, not us. And, uh, And then, you know, a couple of days later, I was healed. So all is well. Chapter 6, they return the ark very quickly to Israel. Um, But uh, in chapter 7, you find out that uh, it remained at a certain place. uh, And Israel was not quite right for um, quite some time. And... uh, They go to Samuel and he says, Listen, and, and thus you're going to deal with your false idols and everything that you're dealing with sincerely uh, and put away all this mess. Then, then, you know, and decide you're going to serve the Lord. There's not much we can do. Then there's a big battle with the Philistines because the Israelites decide they're going to do that. And uh, uh, in 1055 B.C. and and the Israelites finally defeat the Philistines in that battle. And then in chapter 8... Um, Israel asked for a king. Now they had never had a king to this point in time because God was their king. And that's how he had set it up. And they were supposed to be following him in that way. But uh, Samuel had been operating kind of as a judge in that point in time, First Samuel 8, 1 through 5. When Samuel grew old, grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. And the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted judges. So all the elders of Israel gathered together, came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, You're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. So this is a really sad statement, because Israel wasn't like all the other nations. Israel had... A, a, a relationship with God The, the one true God they, they were a special people They were a set apart people and, and instead of understanding what that meant And embracing that And enjoying that They said they just want to be like everybody else And have a king to follow And um, Samuel tries to tell them This isn't what God wants And if you have a king um, He's going to make hard life hard for you And he's going to tax you And he's going to you know, enslave you And he's going to do all the things that kings do and, and they stick with the whole thing. No, we, we really just want to be like uh, everybody else. And so Samuel goes with the Lord this in verse 7 of chapter 8. The Lord says, listen to all the people that are saying to you, it's not that they have rejected you, but they have rejected me as their king. That's what God says. And so he says, fine, if, if that's what they want, then go ahead and, and give them a king. Now, this event had been foretold prophetically back in Deuteronomy 17. And so didn't catch God by surprise. When you enter the land of the Lord God you're giving you, and have taken possession of it and have settled in it, and you say, Let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. He must not be from among he must be from among your own brothers. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not a brother Israelite. The king moreover must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself, or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them, for the Lord has told you you're not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. So God knew this was going to come, that he would be rejected. And, and yet, fascinatingly, he sets these three rules for kings. And, and uh, so the kings of Israel were not to multiply to themselves horses or wives or gold. And guess what every king of Israel did? multiplied to themselves horses, wives, and gold, every single one of them except Jesus. Jesus didn't do any of those three things. And in fact, when he came riding in, uh, his triumphal entry wasn't on even a horse. It was on a donkey. So uh, it's a picture of Jesus being the only one who is ever right enough to be our king and what that means and the only one who ever... Would live up to that, and and so we sort of have that happening, and that's enough information for one night, for anybody. We'll pick it up there. Samuel's a great book. If you get a chance, start to read it, and uh, we'll be talking about it more next week. If you're watching online, uh, thanks for thanks for watching, and we'll pick it up next time we're together.